Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Um, I know it's been a little while since you've heard from us, but we're really, really excited to be with you today because we are talking about wellness, something that has been, I don't know if it's been on the forefront of a lot of people's minds in general, but it's starting to become more and more important because of the language and the research and all the benefits that we're seeing from taking a very conscious approach towards it. So I'm really excited to be back with Tom today. Hi, Mike. Hey. And we actually um, have someone else joining us today who Tom thought would be an invaluable person to talk to about wellness. Uh, Tom, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah, with us, with Mike and I today is Jesse McFarlane. Jesse works with us every day. She has taught uh, in the sciences in Owen J. Roberts Middle School for the past 14 years. Now it's our privilege to have her with us. And she is one of the two principal instructors in our master's degree course in wellness for teachers and students. So th Jesse, thanks a lot for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The so opportunity. I want to start off with this large picture of wellness, looking at the eight universal principles of Dr. Margaret Mead. So many, many years ago, Mead assessed all the different cultures on planet earth. That's a huge database. And she found that all those diverse cultures, ours included, had eight things that they held in common to stay healthy and well. So I want to review those with you and get your perspective, Jesse, and get your perspective, Mike, and ask all of us to think about ourselves as adult educators, but also as our children. So in no order of priority, we'll start with diet. Now, I know nutrition is a great passion of yours, mm -hmm. Jesse. So if you can start us off with what would you recommend to folks who are thinking about a, simply a good, healthy, lifetime diet for themselves, themselves and their children? I mean, one of the biggest factors of diet for me is talking about bio-individuality, um, which is just the concept that there is no right diet for everybody. Um, and that the biggest thing that I, I, I tell people is that you need to figure out what works best for your body. Um, I think so often we try to put ourselves into a box to fit into whatever it is, whether it be vegan or paleo or keto or, um, and we think because it worked for somebody and somebody put a book out about it, sometimes we read that and think that it's going to work for us. Um, going back to just digestion always um, and thinking about how your body processes food. Um, we eat for energy. We eat for fuel. Our bodies biologically, that's that's what food is supposed to do. Um, looking at ingredients is the number one thing I say. When you look at a food label, we tend to go towards calories. Um, what is in our food? And, and usually if you're eating it, the whole food, so apple would be an example of a whole food having one ingredient. Um, less is more in this, ca in this case and making sure that you can pronounce and recognize what you're putting into your body um, from a computer standpoint, from a bio standpoint. If your body doesn't recognize what the food is, it doesn't know what to do with it. It doesn't know where to put it, whether it's into a fat or a carbohydrate or a protein. Um, if it's some chemical frankenfood that somebody kind of invented in a lab, your body truly doesn't know and it's a do not compute signal and it, it, it turns into stuff that's not necessarily good for you. Inflammation, um, your body can react in different ways, whether that be through skin irritation, through mood, through um, being lethargic. So uh, really looking at the quality of your food, what in, what's in your food, and then how your body um, reacts to whatever that is that you're entering. So I know, um, I think one of the 
probably the coolest things you said was quality. Because mm-hmm. I know that um, my wife and I have been meal prepping for like two months now. Mm-hmm. And it's been intense, like just jumping into it and going like, well, we have to measure this. We have to hit our different macronutrients mm-hmm. and we're hitting it in this order. And like just from listening to your response, I'm thinking like, wow, like at the very least, we could just be looking at the, the quality of the food and making sure we have the right fuel mm-hmm. before wow. we decide like how we want to fill up the tank. Absolutely. And not all the macros. So my husband is doing something similar right now. Um, because we are vegan, we're plant-based, which is not right for everybody. Um, he's making sure that he gets enough protein because he's trying to gain muscle right now. So he's very intentional with macros, macros, macros. Um, and I, he's getting away from his intuitive eating. So he says he's eating more often than he's ever eaten before. And he's eating quantity wise more than he's ever eaten because he's trying to hit these numbers and it's kind of driving him a little crazy. (laughs) And I'm like, just going back to basics and eating when you're full, being intuitive with your eating and, or eating when you're hungry, not eating just to eat and, uh, making sure that you, are looking at yes the quality of your food is the most important thing i think before you even get to the the macros okay Mm -hmm. that's great so in margaret mead's work she was really clear on this diet being important for all of us Mm -hmm. and for all all our healthy cultures yeah now when i listen to you speak jesse that is from my perspective and mead's perspective the physical diet absolutely she also talked about a mental diet Literally, what are we feeding our minds? Mm-hmm. What conversations are we paying attention to? What books are we reading? Uh, what video uh, information are we bringing into our consciousness? And she said many, many, many years ago, and now neuroscience is telling us and physiology is telling us that what I feed my mind also impacts my body. So any thoughts, either one of you on that? Um, another perspective that I really love to use as a model for wellness, um, and one that kind of fits into all those categories is, is thinking about our lives as a tank, right? Like a tank of energy, whether that be, or a pitcher, um, you can use the pitcher example too. And that's saying that you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, all of those things that you just said are our choices. We have choices in life where we have to be intentional with the conversations that we enter into, our interactions and our connections with humans, um, what we're feeding our brain with when we're reading and we're, we're, get, we're learning new knowledge. Is it stuff that's making us grow mentally? Is it stuff that's filling our tank? Um, diet fits right into that. Am I fueling my body with food that's going to give me more energy so that I have more to give to the people who I love? As educators, we tend to pour, 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 and we never look at our own wellness, our yeah. own self-care. And so that mental diet is just just as important as the actual physical diet because that's what's filling your tank in order to, to show up and to be there for other people. So you mentioned consciousness. You used the word mm-hmm. consciousness. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned the concept of choice moments. Yes. So, so much of what I'm reading right now comes into every choice we make impacts our mental diet, our emotional diet, our physical diet, our spiritual diet, the whole person, mm-hmm. the whole child. Mm-hmm. And our life is made up of a series of these moments and these choices and everyone is powerful. So for example, when we're done here tonight, I might go down, not I might, I will go down and check my computer for any emails that have come through that really need my attention. And usually what happens is I will slip very gently onto the Facebook and then I'll have to make a lot of choice moments. Do I really want to spend my time looking at this 
in the last few hours I have before I want to go to sleep at night? And I notice you're shaking your head no. Go ahead. I mean, we could talk a whole other podcast about <laughs> sleep, but um, mm-hmm. I think that these choices start the second you opened your eyes in the morning. I think mm-hmm. that that choice that you have the second you start your day, whether or not you're going to start in a moment of positivity and gratitude. Um, I say the, the first thing you should do before you even think about doing anything else is just think of three things that you're grateful for, whether that be from the day before or something that mm-hmm. you're um, excited about for that, that current day. Saying something nice to yourself instead right. of being like, oh man, I have to do this again. Using it, your choice words to say, I have the opportunity to do this today. I have the opportunity to make this connection or whatever it is. So even just the language that we use for ourselves, what you were talking about, the before bed, um, for lack of a better term, I call it sleep foreplay, which is totally inappropriate, but also is exactly what it is. Like you just need get to get yourself attention, ready, <laughs> ready for sleep. Um, I even think about like I have small children, but think about the process that you go through to get your child to bed and when it starts, right? So... You know, I used to do with my first, it gets a little, it gets a little different with your second, but I was giving her like baby massages with lavender oil and we turn down the lights and we have essential oils going and we're reading bedtime stories and we're singing songs and we're cuddling and we're holding them and we are truly preparing them for sleep. And then we leave that room and we go in and we answer our emails and we get on our phones and we're connected and we're plugged in and we have the blue light emanating Mm -hmm. from our phones and we're probably eating something because we forgot to eat dinner and then we just hop into bed and we're like, all right, let's go sleep. And that is not conducive to a sleep environment. So the same setup that we have for children should be the same setup that we have for ourselves. Mm. Turning down the lights, disconnecting. You ha- I mean, I'm a firm believer in eating um, three hours before you go to sleep and not eating after that. That's a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. our bodies need at least 12 hours in order to go through the process that it needs in order to turn mm-hmm. food into fuel. Um, but that also helps with sweet sleep quality reading something that is going to better your mind and be something positive, not like the new murder mystery where someone mm. gets killed and then you have to go to sleep and, you know, kind of lay with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's just as important as for us to be intentional with our kind of entry into sleep as it is for what we do for other people who we love and care about. I want to go back to gratitude. Yes. So in Mead's research, she talks about physical diet, which you've commented on. Mm-hmm. She talks about emotional and mental diet. And then she talks very clearly about spiritual diet. Mm-hmm. And one of my practices before I go to bed tonight is either journal or meditate, focus on my gratitudes for the day. Mm -hmm. And you talked about waking up in that positive frame of mind. For me, that's spirituality. Absolutely. And the other piece, if if either Mike or Jesse, if you have a comment about this, I'd like to hear more about your thoughts on gratitude. But also the other practice that's really important to me is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Over the course of that day, Many things happen to every one of us, mm-hmm. some of them very positive. And again, we have those moments of choice. What am I going to take away from this? But for me, even if I've made a poor choice over the course of the day, I can grant forgiveness for myself, mm-hmm. but also forgiveness for others. Any thoughts about that? Yes. Yeah, so um, I think we see it a lot in the kids we teach, and we don't necessarily compare that to ourselves and what we're doing for ourselves. So I think anyone can relate to like, there's always that one kid that they're emotionally, they fluctuate a lot. And when they come in first thing in the morning, you see how they're, they're acting. And then it's like, Ooh, it's going to be a rough day Mm -hmm. or like, Oh, we're starting off to a good day. Like, I hope it stays that way. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I very rarely hear a teacher see a, um, a a child in distress and think like, we're going to come back from this. 
But if the kid comes in in a good mood, they say, oh, this is great. Let's see if we can keep this going. And I think for us, it's the same where if we don't start off our day on the right foot, then it's very hard to like ramp up halfway through the day and kind of mm. like, you kind of have to start mm-hmm. at a good place mm-hmm. to finish at a good place. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the, Oh, how you doing? Oh, it's Monday. Like it's like, how do you go up from there? If that's, yeah. if like when you wake up in the morning, that should be like, you should be at your absolute best. That should be a hundred percent. So if you're not starting at a hundred percent, then how can you expect to, you know, recharge during the day? Yeah. That's excellent. Again, for me, that's the discipline of those choice moments. Mm-hmm. As soon as I wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. Now, along, uh, uh, excuse me, along with nutrition and diet, the other major wellness practice that everybody talks about is exercise. Mm-hmm. And Mead talked about the exercises of life, the things we want to do the rest of our life. And she, interesting to me, she talked about what are we giving birth to? Now, you know, Mike, you have a, a baby girl. You have two little ones, Jesse. You know, all, all mine are actually all my kids are your age now. They're all in their late thirties. But not only physically, are what are we giving birth to? But how about what's the next great idea? What's the next thing I want? I want to I want to dream. What's the th- well, next thing I want to make real? So in her wellness research, she says, if I'm not creating something new, mm-hmm. I'm I'm literally dissipating. Any thoughts on that? It immediately sparked, um, there's a book called Emotional Agility by Susan David, and um, it talks a lot about neuroplasticity and that idea that um, in order to continue to live and survive and learn new things, you have to try new things and continue to learn and grow and create. Um, that creativity piece is so underrated, I think, mm. when in the busyness of life, and um, that outlet is so very important, I think, yeah. for growth in that in that pattern. Um but when you were talking about the the learning new things, and I th- actually shared this with you the other day, someone in, in one of my grad courses that I'm teaching said, talked about how when things become remote, that time actually goes a lot faster. So mm. when you're younger and you're learning new things, like how to drive a car, how to ride a bike, how to, I mean, all the things that you learn. When you become remote, and think about like when you drove from point A to point B, sometimes mm. you get to that place and you're like, Oh my goodness! How did I how did I get here? Who drove my car? Because it certainly wasn't me. Because it becomes so remote that you're not learning anymore, and your brain isn't actually learning new things, and that can actually make time go faster. So when we think about our childhood, it seemed like it was a long time. Like childhood seemed like it lasted forever. For each year of our life, I feel like it's going faster and faster, and I think it's because we're not necessarily starting from from ground zero and learning something new. Um, So that mental diet, or what you were talking about, again going back to that you know, striving to learn new things and striving to find new information that helps spark that creativity. And then in us uh, allows us to want to move forward with that creativity. I think it's part of longevity too. Yes, absolutely. We always have to be doing something Something new. new. We are human beings Mm -hmm. and we need to be on purpose. We need to be on purpose, which is another piece to her research that I'll get into in a couple minutes. That actually, I'm sorry, I don't want to go, but it brings me back to, um, 
a point. I was talking about um, that passion piece and the yes. on-purpose piece with, with my grad students and um, the question that I got back, and I think it's important because as educators, it becomes remote sometimes, right? So I taught the same subject. I taught life science for 13 years, and every year the curriculum was the same. We started with cells. We went, you know, characteristics of living things. It went to genetics. It was the same pattern, same textbook, um, and I would have gone nuts if I didn't change it up every single year. And then people used to say to me, like, why are you reinventing the wheel? And I'm like, it's for my own sanity as much as for the kids who I'm I'm working with. Um, and for me, one of my favorite parts about teaching was bringing my passions to it and trying to figure out a way that it would interlock. So for example, I taught biology and I started the organic gardening project, which was not part of the curriculum. It was a lot of work, but it got my kids outside, which is something I love. It got mm-hmm. them digging in the dirt, connecting to nature, and I tied it in every possible way I could. We talked about photosynthesis. We talked about cellular development, all of that stuff. But that was my passion. That might not be somebody else's, but I brought it to my classroom. So if you have a passion or a purpose that isn't in teaching, it doesn't have to be your subject area. It can be anything that you're passionate about that when you talk about it, that light shines through you and your kids immediately become passionate about it. So I'm so happy this came up because this is another principle. Now, this is the third Mm -hmm. principle that Mead talked about in her research. Also, I had a chance to, to listen to one of Margaret Mead's protégés, Dr. Angelis Arians, many years ago, and she reinforced this. So what we're talking now, as Jesse, as you talk about passion, for me, that's simul- it's synonymous with purpose, Absolutely. sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And we know that when we are living on purpose as human beings, we actually live longer. Mm-hmm. We live longer and we live healthier. So we know that a really challenging time for us is Monday morning, 8 to 9. Most Americans, die, those that die of a heart attack, die Monday morning, 8 to 9. Harvard looked into that research. They looked into that data. They did family interviews. They did workplace interviews. They interviewed friends. And yes, we know it's stress. And yes, we know it's heart attack. But the socially and emotionally what's going on, Harvard said the real cause of death, lack of meaning and purpose in one's life. So when you talk about living with your passion, you talk about living in purpose, it's not so much we, what we get paid to do mm-hmm. and what a blessing if they, if they coincide. But if we're not doing something that we love, we're literally decreasing our life expectancy. Mm-hmm. So this is critically important. Uh, my three children who are all very, very different, you know, my little girl, Ashley, who's developmentally challenged, her purpose in life is to love and be loved. And that's enough. And I've come to learn that in the, in the 35 years she's been alive. My oldest son is a scientist. and He's a nanoscientist. And he wants to know every single detail about life. And that's his sense of purpose. My youngest son is, is, a, is an engineer who loves to put his hands on things and tear things apart and put them back together. That's his sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of us here in this room right now, Mike, Jesse, myself, we're educators, we're teachers. That's our sense of purpose. I think one of our responsibilities as educators, a major content area, help our children find their purpose. Absolutely. Help them find their passion. Isn't that what you're doing with your your different learners, Mike, in special education? Yes. So, I mean, there's always going to be the things that kids need to learn or things that need to be taught to them. But I think there's... There's so much um, context that can be wrapped around that. So to give a real concrete example, um, kids in elementary school, they love YouTube. Mm. 
They love digesting all of that information. And they also really idolize those people who put themselves on public display mm. because some of them are really successful at it. There are yeah. people that make a video every day, upload it onto YouTube, mm -hmm. and they make more money than any of us ever will. Mm. And that's one of the new like professional athlete mentalities that kids have. So what I've been doing is I said, well, if that's what you want to do, that's great. We still have to do math. Mm -hmm. but here's a camera. You're going to explain this to people who are going to watch this video. Mm. And in that way, they get so excited because they're moving towards their purpose. They want to be a character in a video. They mm -hmm. want to put themselves out there for other people and they're doing it. They're, they're using a medium that's meaningful to them and applying it to content that's useful to them. Okay. Um, and I think that's, it's, it's, it's really neat to see the way kids light up when they, when they find a passion like that. That's the key. We need to look for the light bulb going off. We need to look the light up in the face. Passion is obvious. And, and for me, if I'm working with a group and I'm not seeing that, then I need to check into myself. What do I need to change or adjust? Do I need a deeper connection? Do I need to establish a greater level of trust? What is it as the facilitator that I need to do to help reveal that passion? Now, you mentioned something interesting, Mike. You mentioned that uh, the YouTube, uh, you mentioned athletes. Well, the other thing that me talked about, this is probably the fourth thing now, is one of the things that enhances wellness is music. Health and well-being is enhanced by music. Uh, and I know there's all types of music out there, but she got quite specific. She said 60 to 80 beats a minute or less. Any type of music that relaxes our physiology, enhances learning, health, and well-being. So I'm curious, in Jesse, in your work in mindfulness and wellness, mm -hmm. Mike, in your work with special education, are you using any music tools? I wouldn't say music tools necessarily, but um, I always had music on, my, in, on in my classroom when I was teaching. Um, the kids would almost request it. It was kind of like background ambience. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm a yoga teacher, I had like a restorative yoga playlist. Okay. So it was very slow, meditative, quiet, calm mm -hmm. music on purpose. Mm -hmm. The lyrics were all very positive. And so even if they weren't listening to it, at least was putting the energy out in the right. room. Um, and I was very intentional with my music selections. And the kids would, would ask when it wasn't on. So Wonderful. that was definitely part of my class. Um, I also, not with the beats per minute, but... Um, through allowing them to kind of have a voice, I also did an activity with them where each class would create a playlist. And so mm. they were allowed to pick a song and an artist. They had to check the lyrics first and they handed them in on index cards and I would create like a period one playlist and then their playlist would play. Um, and it's it totally reminded me like when we were little and you would wait because we didn't have Spotify or any of these things until the song that you wanted to come on the radio would come on and you'd like sit in front of the radio and be like, come on, come on. Because when their song comes on, they get so excited and they feel like they've yeah. you know had a voice in the classroom and so it was really neat to kind of see how yeah. music connected with them you just said there's ownership oh yeah that's my song oh they love there's it. ownership yeah. how and about your, your very setting mike <laughs> yeah um we listen to music every day so mm. i've been um it's tough a lot of the things that um kids want to listen to it's mm -hmm. not you know to each their own at home but not in school and um i also i put on a lot of vitamin string orchestra so it's all popular music no lyrics, anything like that, but it gives off the energy. Mm -hmm. So I've never thought about it from like a calming, like let's put, keep it mellow. Mm -hmm. But like if I put an upbeat song on, 
that all the kids get the same energy mm. and there's a rhythm to the classroom because of that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of almost like just kind of syncs us up a little bit. Um, and that's, it's immeasurably helpful when you, especially for me having multiple grade levels, uh, multiple like disability types for us to all like sync up on something yeah. like that. It, it does wonders in a classroom setting. You so, just remind, oh, sorry. No, please go ahead. Jesse. I used to, so another thing for, to that point for the energy piece, um, I would always in the mornings, like our kids get to school at seven ten, and the first period doesn't start till seven thirty. And I had big bow speakers in my room and I would blare the playlist on Spotify is called songs to sing in the shower. It's just like these happy. I have that one. Yes. Right. <laughs> and I would just blare it out of my classroom and kids who weren't even my kiddos would just come in and just kind of hang out in my room and just create it and like it was early and some of them would roll their eyes and be like oh but you you could tell that they were energized by yeah. it just started the day started the period similar to what I said starting my day with intention I wanted to start their day with intention so both of you from different perspectives are using more music as a powerful tool yes whether it be relaxation mm-hmm. and focus for learning whether it be getting everybody in that same energetic state mm-hmm you're really building a team and building a community. And when you when you said you blasted it on the Bose speakers, you literally were inviting other members to join your community. Yeah. And they gravitated towards that. So thank you both for that. The, the Another piece that Mead talks about, and this is something that's really important to me, and I think it's important to all of us as human beings, love, touch, and support systems. We have to be connected. Mm-hmm. Brene Brown in her work says it emphatically. In every book she writes, we are hardwired for connection. So some people have a hard time talking about love. I think it's essential that we talk about it and find a way to bring that into the lives of our children. Touch, Cornell Medical School says, I need six to eight respectful, loving touches a day for survival. Many children are coming to school in a survival fight and flight mode. But let's talk a little bit about, so if some friends in education are uncomfortable with touch, and I respect that, what are some other ways that we can recognize children, affirm children, let them know that, yes, I do see you, you matter to me? What are your thoughts from the classroom? I used to have... um a saying up on my my board above my whiteboard that said shine your light Mm. um which is something that just stood out to me when you said that because from the very beginning I challenged them that quote that says um find the light in others and pretend like that is all you see is something that we we emphasized all the time so challenging them to find the light in other people and then as soon as I found that light that spark that we were talking about earlier I honed in on it as much as I possibly could um and I told I mean I taught middle school and um, there, they knew that they had a voice in their education mm. and, and I made sure that that was known through, I mean, I used to do like a Google doc where they could just literally journal anytime they wanted. They could either just write it and delete it. Or if they wanted me to know something, mm-hmm. they could send it to me or I, they could tell me mm-hmm. that I shared this with you and I'd be able to see it. Um, I had like lunch bunch groups that would come in at lunch. Um, we could kind of unpack that stuff a little bit. Um, just always letting them know that you see them, you hear them. They mean they matter. You matter. So again, you recognize their light mm-hmm. and you shined a light on them, which, em- which empowered them to even be brighter. That was the hope. Yeah, well, yes. How about you, Mike? Um, I think voice is a really important aspect mm-hmm. of it. Absolutely. And part of that voice is knowing that you have an audience. 
So something that I try really, really hard to do, um, and I'm not great at it, is invest a little bit in um, the student's personal just like history. So I ask questions like, you know, what did you do like this weekend or, you know, the things that we all ask, but also like, oh, how is such and such today? Like, you know, how's your dog doing? And then I write those things down because I won't remember them. Mm. And then I'll wait like two, three days and then I'll follow up. Beautiful. And it lets them know that I'm thinking about them and that they have an audience to share Mm. with. Because if you don't feel like you have anyone to talk to, then what's the point in talking? Yeah. Um, And that's that's been really, really um, successful for me in getting kids to open up and feel like they're a member of the community. Loved hearing that not only do you listen, but you take the time to write notes down, to pull them back a few days later. What an empowering statement to a young child that says, I really care about you. Mm -hmm. And as you said earlier, Jesse, you matter to me. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So another tool as we move along this journey of wellness with Margaret Mead, she talked about humor, that all human beings benefit and stay healthy with a sense of humor. Now, as I say it, I'm pausing because I'm aware that in our nation right now, there's a lot of destructive humor. There's a lot of sarcasm. There's a lot of put downs. Uh, That was not where she was heading at all. And in fact, if you look up the derivations of the word sarcasm, it has its roots in a Greek word, which means the tearing of flesh. Me talked about the universal humor. She talked about us understanding and being able to chuckle at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, human beings are funny. We do silly things. Um, I'm not a great joke teller, but I like to laugh at myself. <laughs> uh, and I, 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 I think that's a healthy thing to do. Uh, any sense or, or any ideas about how important humor is to our health? I mean, from a teacher standpoint, I don't think I was intentionally (laughs) trying to be funny, but I was funny in the sense that I was extremely vulnerable to my kids. Um, I mean, Mm. I would, I was 100% me all the time. And if I didn't put on an act, I didn't put on a show. Like if my kids were up all night, I'm like, Hey guys, it's going to be one of those days. I'm drinking extra coffee. And like, I mean, they knew, like I told them, I let them in, I let them, you know, into who I was as a person and in doing so we could laugh at it and allowed them to kind of put their not their failures or their setbacks on display but we were able to have humor surrounding I think a lot of well let's look at the situation from a different perspective and to laugh at ourselves and recognize that just because we don't know it now doesn't mean that we're not going to know it ever Mm. um and I always you know if I made a mistake I would I would put it out there. This I made this mistake and this is what it was. And, you know, let's let I don't know that yet. Let's figure out what, what's our, what our next steps are. So as we're talking about humor, what I'm hearing, Jesse, is you were real. You were fully transparent. You were authentic. And you even used the word vulnerable. Mm-hmm. All of that content in the human condition comes up strong in Dr. Brene Brown's research, mm-hmm. Dr. Parker Palmer's work. Almost everything I'm reading today about health and wellness, the concepts of authenticity, mm-hmm. transparency, vulnerability, and having the courage to be that and to model that with our children is essential for health and well-being. I agree. There's two more pieces I want to touch on before, before we end this particular podcast. 
you mentioned a little, just a few moments ago, Jesse, how important it is to be outside. Yes. So Margaret Mead actually gave us a prescription. She said healthy cultures on planet Earth are outside for a minimum of one hour every day. What are your thoughts? Why is, why is being outside so important to you? I mean, I could go into like the biological part of being outside with vitamin D. And um, there's actually all this research right now about gut health and microbiomes, um, which is fascinating because so many of us are, are conscious of that and taking probiotics and supplements and all kinds of stuff to strengthen our, our gut. And um, research is showing that the best thing you can possibly do is just go for a walk on a a trail, like a hiking trail. And that if you're walking in an environment that has ferns specifically, Mm. that you actually populate your biome with more cultures of bacteria than you ever could from a supplement. So we're doing these things um, in order to kind of synthetically produce what is naturally given to us in in the environment. But for kids, um, just connecting them, I think everything stems from nature. I think that our biorhythms and the way that we're supposed to sleep and act and and everything starts with with the environment. Um, And the closer you can get kids and anybody back to that natural rhythm, the better that their life is going to kind of play out in terms of just connectedness. Um, So for me, and like how that looked in my classroom, we we were lucky enough that we had an outdoor space. I mean, I had the garden, but even just doing something surrounding mindfulness, um, even if it's like a break and you take them outside and do, like I used to call it, like a rainbow walk where you mm-hmm. could walk and, and just have them pay attention to something of each of the different colors. Or, I mean, this could look in any way, shape, or form, but the amount of focus and attention and what that does for a kid when they come back in and then you dive into whatever you're trying to dive into, it's a complete 180. Mm-hmm. Um, they crave it. They crave that connection with nature. And I think these kids are disconnected from that more than ever. Um, and so what a beautiful opportunity as an educator yeah. to kind of bring some of that awareness back into their their life it's probably appropriate for another podcast but this whole idea of connection to nature and connection to each other Mm -hmm. and literally unplugging Mm -hmm. mike maybe in the future we can talk about the importance of unplugging for our health and Mm well-being yeah sure we'll plug in to talk about (laughs) (laughs) The, the next and final piece is an area that mead was really passionate about in her research and and i noticed that Sometimes when I bring it up in a wellness class or I bring it up in a, in a professional development, people get real quiet, and that's faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not venturing into the world of religion now, although I respect that. Mm-hmm. What I am venturing into is the world of believing in something greater than you. And as soon as I say that, I feel a sense of humility. I feel a sense of awe. Um, faith. I know for me, if this, you know, skin encapsulated something is all I've got, I'm in trouble. (laughs) When, When I dig deep into the answers I need to get through every day, when I look at those social emotional skills, when I summon up inside of me the courage to be the best man I can be, I'm in the territory of spirituality and faith. Mm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on, on what are your practices or, or how important is that in your life? Spirituality is actually an area of growth for me at all times. Um, and it has looked different in all aspects of my life through this process of growing up. Um, I was raised Catholic, so religion and spirituality was very much wrapped up into God and um, that 
that aspect mm-hmm. of faith for a very long time um, until I started to have some questions <laughs> and kind of started to look at all different faiths and area of faith and religions. And I think I've tried every type of religion, every type of, of organized religion out there. Um, and I think it took a turn for me a little bit when I started to realize that my faith was intrinsic um, and was more about just like hope and um it, it became something a little bit different. So for me, when I feel most connected to spirituality right now, and I do believe in something bigger than me for sure. Um, for some reason lately, it's been a she when I pray or when I like, you know, mm-hmm. communicate, I say her. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's I in, embody Mother Earth if we mm-hmm. want to get really into it, I think mm-hmm. is kind of who I I kind of gear my talking and dialogue mm-hmm. towards, but I feel this is, we could do another podcast on this and you can totally delete this if you want to, but um <laughs> My, when I'm most connected is when I am doing yoga, Mm -hmm. meditating, um, and outside. And I think for people when they're trying to find spirituality, the first thing I say as a guiding tool is think about the times when you're happiest and you feel most fulfilled, Mm -hmm. um, or you're passionate Mm -hmm. because usually that is when you're most in touch with who you are and how you're helping others and you're, you know, the greater good. Like how are you contributing to the greater good, Mm -hmm. which in turn contributes to everybody else. So it goes back to that whole, just being a, being a good person and helping people, helping people see that. and, And that's it. Mike, any closing thoughts on this for you? Um, for that specifically, so I have, I have a really hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really almost discounted it for probably the first like 20 years of my life. Um, and I think it was mostly the language and what it was associated mm-hmm. with. So the word that I finally stuck on that I think kind of parallels what you guys are talking about is legacy. Mm. Um, so for me, it's, it's, more the sense of yeah i'll be gone but like what am i doing every day to leave behind Mm -hmm. so not necessarily like where am i going but like what's going to remain of me when i leave right and i like to frame it that way because it it helps me make the best decisions for how i want to spend my time Mm -hmm. and the things that are really of value to me and Mm -hmm. important um and it really helps me to distinguish between things that are important and things that are urgent. Yeah. Um, because they're two very separate things. And the urgent yes, things are. aren't always the important things mm. to do. Thank you. As we close this up, I'm pausing because for me, I'm in that spiritual faith place. And Mike, when you said that word legacy, that means everything to me. At 66 years old, I know that I've got less time in front of me than I have behind me. That's a fact. Even if my genetics come through and I live to be 100, which is possible for my genetics, I still have less time in front of me. So every day and every moment is becoming sacred to me. The honor and the privilege of having both of you in my life means the world to me. My dearest friend, my oldest friend, says you don't hire people, you adopt them. And that has brought me almost endless joy in my life. But I'm also real enough to know it's brought me some pain because when you bring people that close into your life, sometimes we disappoint each other. However, I will never sacrifice that. The things we've talked about here today, honoring each other, our legacy that we leave behind, trusting each other, being 
fully authentic with with the the parts of us that aren't wonderful and the parts of us that are and having the courage to be our real self and that means being vulnerable i'm so very very grateful for this opportunity i know that uh, we're going to have some more podcasts and i know that we could talk forever about wellness but for today and for this time thank you so much mike again thank you for leading us through this process course yeah and um jesse thank you for coming in this is the first guest we've had on here whoa yeah. so you're welcome <laughs> thank you and more than you're welcome thank you for yes for lending your insight and really um helping to round out and start this discussion on wellness absolutely thank you thank you everybody thanks so much